Would you please be upstanding as we begin our service? Please, would you all sit down? I want to extend a very warm welcome to all of you here this morning to our Anzac service as we approach the centenary of the Battle of the Somme, which opened in June of 1916. To those of you who are here from the international community, a very special welcome to you. To those who are here from political and civic life, from the wider community, for representatives of different organizations, for those who represent the defense forces, we are very grateful for your presence with us this morning. I'd also like to thank the Kuringai Male Choir for joining us and for the Lane Cove Concert Band, for our organist Graham Costin, our bugler Simone Katz, our Piper David Chilton, and for Brigadier Neil Turner, who will be delivering the ode. And especially I want to extend thanks to Andrew Thorburn, who is the chaplain at the Royal Australian uh, in Navy, and he is going to be preaching to us later, Andrew. We're so grateful for your presence with us. We approach 
the anniversary of the opening of the Battle of the Somme in 1916. We remind ourselves as we think about the First World War of the loss of life of Australians, New Zealanders as well as of course so many others. The very fact that war exists at all is a reminder to all of us of the fundamental brokenness of our human existence and our chronic inability to do anything about it. And so as we meet in the context of Christian worship, we are reminded as a community, as representatives of nations, as individuals, that we are all answerable before a holy God to whom we must give account for how we have lived our lives. And so, as we move into our service, we have a moment of silence and reflection. Would you please turn to page 8 of the, of the booklets and we will follow the order of service as you find it printed. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy.
Jesus said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We are encouraged by the Scriptures to acknowledge our sins and not to hide them from God, our Heavenly Father, but to confess them so that we may be forgiven through His great goodness and mercy. We ought to admit our sins before God at all times, but especially when we meet together to give thanks for all the benefits we have received from Him, to hear from His Holy Word, and to ask what is necessary for the body as well as the soul. Therefore, let us draw near to our gracious God and confess our sins together. Almighty and merciful God, Lord of all nations, we confess with shame the sins, both private and public, by which we have broken your law and grieved your spirit. We confess our lack of love for you and for one another, for the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive our sins. Take from us all hatred and bitterness, whether in thought, word, or action. Lead us to forgive as we have been forgiven and live our lives according to your purposes for us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who has promised forgiveness to all who truly repent and believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, grant you pardon for your sins, peace in your hearts, the Holy Spirit to enable you to live for Him, and at the end, life everlasting in His eternal kingdom, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we look for the renewal of the whole creation through Jesus Christ, we are bold to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Our first Bible reading is Psalm 46, and you can read it along in the program if you would like, or just listen. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her break of the day. 
Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress.
Our New Testament reading this morning comes from John, chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Well, allow me to lead us in prayer for peace throughout the world for those affected by war and for ourselves. Let us pray. Almighty Father, whose will is to restore all things in your beloved Son, the King of all. Govern the hearts and minds of those in authority and bring the families of the nations divided and torn apart by the ravages of sin to be subject to his just and gentle rule, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Eternal God, from whom all thoughts of truth and peace proceed, kindle, we pray, in the hearts of all, the true love of peace, and guide with your pure and peaceable wisdom those who take counsel for the nations of the earth, that in tranquility your kingdom may go forward till the earth is filled with the knowledge of your love. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, we remember how your Son had great compassion for those who suffered. Hear our prayer for those who still suffer as the result of war. For those who live with the pain and scars of bodily injury. For those whose minds are shattered. For those who have been bereaved and for those who have lost hope. Grant to them peace of mind and heart and relief from all their suffering. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, our Father, make us to be those who work for peace, seeking always to express your love in the world. Help us to encourage the spirit of reconciliation, sowing love where there is hatred, pardon where there is injury, faith where there is doubt, light where there is darkness, hope where there is despair, and joy where there is sadness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And please be upstanding as we sing our second hymn.
seated. I wonder how do you cope when you feel as though your whole world has been turned upside down? Where do you find comfort and strength to move on, to continue in the face of unimaginable pain and suffering? World War I left an unimaginable 38 million people dead. Roughly two-thirds of that through uh, combat and collateral damage amongst civilians and the rest from disease. By the end of World War I, Australia had lost 61,919 members of the armed forces. That's more deaths put together than the remaining deaths that we would lose uh, through World War II and subsequent conflicts. Around 200,000 service personnel were injured, many of them permanently. Some would die from the results of their wounds after the war had ended. Some overcome by what was known as shell shock and what we today call post-traumatic stress died at their own hands. And also today we remember the casualties of our close neighbour and partner, New Zealand, but they also too suffered greatly. Those statistics are shocking But they only lead us part way towards, I guess, appreciating the, the total loss and devastation costs that that war caused. When you realise that every number was a person, or represents a person, flesh and blood with hopes and dreams, members of families connected into a web of relationships, contributors to communities, it's extremely confronting, isn't it? And hard to get your mind around. Where does an individual, where does a community, where does a nation find strength and hope to carry on in the face of such tragedy and loss? This year we remember our most costly involvement in the war. The horror and death of Gallipoli was a sad prelude to the incredible destruction of the battle for the Western Front. Of the more than 295,000 Australians who served in this theatre of war, 46,000 lost their lives and 132,000 were wounded. To put that in today's terms, if we lost the same proportion of young people, that would be two, roughly 200,000 lives lost. Can you imagine what it would be like to go through that. We've struggled in the war for Afghanistan uh, with the 42 lives that we've lost. 200,000 just seems incomprehensible to me. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with such a tragedy? And the waves of grief that followed the waves of destruction on the battlefields, uh, the bereaved would look to one another, to their family, to their friends, as we would normally do. Those returning often found comfort and strength from sharing uh, time with others who had gone through the same experience, those who'd been there, who had seen it, 
who understood. Some found determination and strength in the accounts of courage that came from the battlefields. And they committed themselves to honouring the memories of those who had fallen. Those deeply influenced by the Christian faith often found comfort in the promises of God in the Bible. The sovereignty and mercy of God reassured them that God could even bring good out of suffering. The compassion of Christ and his innocent suffering of death on a cross also meant that God truly knew the pain that people were going through, that they were going through, and he cared for them. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ gave assurance and hope in life beyond death. But many struggled to come to terms with the horror, and rightly so, understandably so. And some were left asking the question, well, where is God? Why didn't he step in? Why didn't he do something? I mean, really, was he an ever-present help in trouble? Yes, there were stories of God's seeming intervention. Take, for example, Lance Corporal PJ Davies. He was laying telephone cables on the border of Belgium and Germany uh, with three other men when two large shells exploded nearby, shattering, scattering uh, shrapnel all over them. He woke up the next day in hospital uh, with wounds to his arms and his legs and he reached up into his top chest pocket uh, for his little service, active service New Testament, which was something like this, only a bit thicker. And he pulled it out of his pocket and there he saw a very large fragment of metal. A doctor nearby exclaims, that saved your life. He kept that as a souvenir. Uh, and rightly so. But those kind of stories, while they, we do hear of them, are pretty few and far between. And it led many people to feel that God had abandoned them. And I think if we put ourselves in their shoes, that's, that's actually quite an understanding reaction. And today, some people use uh, the argument of suffering to discount the reality of God. And while I don't pretend that there are easy answers to the questions of suffering, I don't think suffering itself is really the knockdown argument that many people think that it is against God. Because making sense of suffering isn't just a problem for a Christian worldview, it's a problem for every worldview. Richard Dawkins, who some of you may be familiar with, for example, highlighted the difficulty of suffering and tragedy uh, from an atheist's point of view. He emphasises the futility and the emptiness and the injustice of suffering in a world without God. In the end, he says, we're just left with the blind, pitiless indifference of chance. What a cold slap in the face that is to anyone overcome by grief. Well, it shouldn't surprise you that I'm convinced of another answer another alternative. I'm convinced that the approach to suffering uh, in the Bible not only makes uh, more sense intellectually, but is actually deeply compassionate and engaging emotionally. I'm a chaplain in the Royal Australian Navy. I only have been for three years. 
so a very short time. I'm currently the chaplain at the RAN Recruit School, uh, where we see approximately a thousand sailors begin their, uh, their life in the Navy, and it's a very exciting place to be. We're located on the Mornington Peninsula, uh, roughly 80 kilometres south of Melbourne. Uh, as a chaplain, as a chaplain to the recruit school, I sometimes join the recruits early on in their training to visit the Shrine of Remembrance in the city of Melbourne. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a very impressive building. Uh, it was built after World War I uh, with public money donated uh, by all of everyone from across Victoria. Uh, children saved up their pennies at school and and uh, there's a massive contribution, and it's, an, it's a stunning building. And in the centre of the building, the, the focus of the shrine is a large square room that's lined with marble. And in the centre of the floor is a, a stone that's set there. Uh, it's about a metre square, and it's a beautiful piece of red marble with some very profound words engraved in it. And those words are, Greater love hath no man. Another astounding thing about this building uh, I, that I paid attention to because I have a little bit of a background in architecture is that it's been designed so that on the 11th hour of the 11th month, sorry, the 11th day of the 11th month on Remembrance Day, through a little hole in the roof, the uh, image of the sun is projected onto that stone and traverses the stone and crosses it highlighting the word love. Uh, unfortunately, Daylight Savings has kind of ruined that experience. <laughs> but they have now got a, a, a little, uh, I think it's a laser that actually projects an image of the sun, which does actually allow uh, for that, service, that ceremony to be conducted each year, but also a very moving ceremony each day uh, where you get to uh, reflect and remember and think about the significance of all those lives that have passed. Of course, the quote calls to mind the remainder of the passage that was read out for, for us this morning. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Uh, recently, I've been reading a little book called uh, Their Sacrifice, and uh, it's, it's a very interesting book. It looks at the impact of the Bible on individuals as they have served throughout various conflicts, uh, Australian servicemen and women in particular. And in it, there's actually a story of a chaplain. So being a chaplain, I was quite uh, interested in reading this story. And the chaplain's name is Andrew Gillison. He was a Presbyterian minister from, in, from Melbourne, in fact. And he joined uh, early on in the war at the age of 47 uh, to serve... Uh, those young men uh, who were heading off to battle. He was the second chaplain to land at Gallipoli and uh, he spent a lot of time, there, a lot of energy and effort in his support of people in an incredibly difficult time. Uh, like many of the chaplains who served in World War I, he also worked as a stretcher bearer, which was actually a very dangerous role. Uh, on one occasion, he was walking through a trench with a, a very senior chaplain, a colonel, when he heard a wounded soldier beyond, just above and beyond the trench calling out for help. And with no thought to himself, he just legged it over the, the top and under fire, under enemy fire, dragged the soldier back. 
Uh, he was berated by the senior chaplain for his recklessness. But one of the soldiers nearby said to him, it's no use, sir, that man doesn't fear any bullets. He had a reputation uh, for giving of himself and actually, after many similar acts of bravery, Gillison was shot and killed by sniper fire while trying to rescue a wounded soldier. Greater love hath no man. Gillison is not unique in his bravery. Many others gave their lives in love for the sake of others for whom they served. And so the message on that stone speaks of all those who served in a similar way, doesn't it? Greater love hath no man. But interestingly, Jesus wasn't just simply making an observation about human behaviour or some human behaviour. He was actually highlighting the significance of his own death and the giving of himself and what he was about to do for those he loved. And this is what I think is so compassionate and compelling about the Christian response to suffering. Because suffering and pain can feel incredibly isolating, can't it? But the God we meet in scriptures is the God who has come near, entered our world of pain as a human being and who suffered. Not just appeared to suffer, but who really suffered. The cross was incredibly brutal. And because he came near and knows what it's like, in our suffering, in our pain, in our grief, when our world is turned upside down, we can draw near. We can find comfort. We can find strength. But we can also find hope. Because Jesus didn't only die, he was raised to life. And so he secured unending life, everlasting life, for those who draw near to him in trust. It's interesting that that idea is actually embedded into our Anzac ceremonies. The last post signifies the end of life in death. But Reveille, or Rouse, as it's also called, marks the beginning, the waking up to new life that is available through Jesus. How do you cope? when you feel as though your world has been turned upside down? How do you cope when you suffer incredible grief and pain and loss? Where can you find strength? May we turn to the God who knows, who cares, and who has done something about our pain. Let me pray. Almighty God, we pray this day that you will indeed be our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble, to know that when we go through difficult times that you indeed walk with us, that you know and you care. And may we also walk with hope, knowing that you have done 
what we could not have done to address the suffering of this world. And indeed, you have a plan to make things all, all things new uh, through your Son who died and was raised for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a seat. Anzac Cove. There's a lonely stretch of hillocks. There's a beach asleep and dreams. There's a battered, broken fort beside the sea. There are sunken, trampled graves. There's a little rotting pier and winding paths that wind unceasingly. There's a torn, silent valley. There's a tiny rivulet with some blood upon the stones beside its mouth. There are lines of buried bones. There's an unpaid, waiting debt 
there's a sound of gentle sobbing in the south. As we come now to lay wreaths in memory of the Anzacs who fought in the Great War of 1914 to 1918, we particularly remember those from this church whose names are recorded on our honour roll down the back and the six who lost their lives in Egypt and France during 1916. The cards on the wreaths express our grateful thanks to those who gave their lives at Gallipoli and during 1916 in Egypt and on, and on the Western Front in France. Frederick H. Buckingham, killed in action in France, the 5th of November, 1916, aged 22 years. George Edward Cox, Killed in action in France on the 23rd of December, 1916, aged 24 years. Stuart Gaydon, wounded in battle at Romani, Egypt, died of wounds on the 6th of August, 1916, aged 23 years. Joseph Jackson, accidentally killed in France on the 29th of December, 1916, aged 44 years. Harold Reith Olver, served in Gallipoli, killed in action in Egypt on the 4th of August, 1916, aged 25 years and nine months, awarded the military medal Sydney Stanley Smith, also served in Gallipoli, killed in action in France, the 14th of November, 1916, aged 36 years. At this point in the service, we remember those who laid down their lives for us in past conflicts. The Ode to the Fallen. They went with songs to the battle. They were young, 
straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted. They fell with their faces to the foe. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. Lest we forget.
remain standing as we pray. Eternal God and Father, the darkness is not dark to you, and the night as clear as the day. Accompany us as we go out into the world, reconciled to one another and to you, so that we may walk through this life's perils and sorrows as children of light, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you now and always. Amen. Oh.